get a chance to hear from South Korean experts about the pandemic in their country. I'm a frequent visitor, or I used to be, uh, to South Korea, and I was a one-time visiting scholar at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology, KAIST. I've had the chance to study disasters in South Korea, most recently looking at the 2014 Sewol Ferry disaster. So when COVID-19 came, I had a sense of the health and emergency systems that South Korea would rely upon to endure and to fight the pandemic. I'm pleased to report, uh, I was looking at the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center before this call, that there are um, 10,062 cases, not pleased that they have any cases, but comparatively, compared to other countries, pleased to see that those are the numbers in South Korea with 174 confirmed deaths. We'll turn to our guests to see those numbers may be low. It's certainly a starkly different picture than Spain or Italy are certainly very different from the United States. So I'm eager today to talk about how South Korea met the pandemic and really what we can learn from their example. So please allow me to introduce uh, my guests for the second hour of COVID calls today. We are joined by Professor Song Sik Wong, MD, PhD. He's Associate Professor in the Department of Public Health Sciences at Seoul National University Graduate School of Public Health. And I'm also joined by Professor Cheong Jong, Associate Professor and the head of the Graduate School of Science, Technology and Policy at KAIST. He's a scholar of science, technology, and society, and he's also a friend and research collaborator of mine. I'd like to welcome both Professor Wong and Professor John to COVID Calls. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you for thank you for inviting me. Hello, thank you for inviting us today. Good morning. And I'm now going to, that's right, I, I should remind everyone that our two guests here have gotten up at an ungodly early hour to share their information with us this morning. Professor John, I'm now going to um, give you the controls so that um, you can show us slides. The way we're going to proceed in this hour is we have some slides and discussion from Professor Huang and then some time for discussion after that. So let me... Just Please give the control to Professor Huang. Ah, yes. Yes. Let me do that. And bear with me one second, as I have not tried to do this before. And I believe now that Professor Huang, you are in control and you can put up slides. Yeah. Can, can you see a slide? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. 10 decisive scenes in the COVID-19 epidemic of South Korea, and uh, I am the Ms. Kwang, I'm the professor of the Seoul National University, and I'm the epidemiologist. Yeah. Scene number one, uh, December 17, 2019. South Korea's emergency exercise in December facilitated coronavirus testing containment. Uh, a South Korean tabletop exercise on emergency responses to a fictional mysterious outbreak led directly to tools the country deployed less than a month later to manage the arrival and spread of the coronavirus. Uh, this hypothetical disease quickly spread among the colleagues of the family members and medical workers who treated them. In response, the team of experts at the Korea CDC developed an algorithm to find the pathogen and its origin, as well as testing techniques. The Sangwon Lee, one of the KCDC experts who lead the way, said it was blind luck. It was a speechless seed scenario become reality. And added, but, but the exercise helped us save much time developing testing methodology and identifying cases. Uh, the exercise played a key role in slowing what became Asia's largest coronavirus epidemic outside China using aggressive and sustained testing. Scene number two, January 20th, 
The first imported case of COVID-19 is detected during a screening at Incheon International Airport. The carrier is a Chinese woman from Wuhan, Hubei Province, China. Dr. Jinyong Kim of the Division of Infectious Disease or Infectious Disease Medicine at Incheon Metropolitan City Medical Center successfully treated the COVID-19 patient one from Wuhan. On Friday, 21st February, she was tested at the public health clinic and was admitted to the medical center. Her oxygen level dropped. She reported a severe headache and pain in her flank. Her CT shows pneumonia, which was not visible on chest X-ray. She was provided with oxygen and uh, saturation rose, the headache disappeared, but she still had a fever. And she was being treated in negative pressure isolation room, and she handwriting letter to the medic, Dr. Kim. She used the Google Translator. 2000, uh, February 21st, uh, she was back to go, went, went back to China and uh, emailed uh, Dr. Kim in, in Korean. In number three, uh, January 27th, South Korean health officials convened representatives from over 20 medical companies at a conference room inside Seoul train station. And on January 17th, WHO World Health Organization announced its testing guidelines. Korean CDC modified this technique testing guideline to better fit South Korea. And this process made it possible for the Korean government to determine who was infected and transfer Koreans from Wuhan using the charter planes. Up until January 30th, this is confirmed the cases with a pan-coronavirus test. This was done by testing whether the patient was positive for coronaviruses and then excluding other known types of coronaviruses. There were a total six different kinds of known coronaviruses, including SARS and MERS. Testing method became significantly simpler by introducing the real-time reverse transcase polymer chain reaction, RT-PCR, specifically for COVID-19, which can detect the disease in six hours. In number four, February 2nd, the Ministry of Health and Welfare announces foreigners coming from Hubei will be denied entry into Korea. Korea citizen, Korean citizens traveling from Hubei will be granted entry, are required to report their domestic addresses and contact numbers, and self-isolate for 14 days from the date of entry. Travelers from China entering Korea will be directed to a separated arrival hall in Incheon International Airport. They must submit their domestic addresses and contact numbers which will be verified before entering. The restriction on visa issuances are implemented along with the possibility of suspension for short-term tourist visas. In number five, February 4th, the government announces approval of test kits manufactured by Colgan Biotech Company. Newly developed test kits with capability capability to produce results in six hours become available at uh, 50 health facilities. Uh, these kits were administered at the municipal and provincial government public health institute of health and environment since January 31. It's a kind of real-time PCR kit, uh, newly developed kit. Uh, in number six, uh, doomed day in Korean epidemic. Mm. February 18th, 
the media confirms a new COVID-19 patient. This individual, a member of a Shincheonji church in Daegu city, later becomes commonly known as patient 31 and labeled as a super spreader that resulted in the massive spike in COVID-19 patient numbers in the days to follow. The foreign policy issues the article, cults and conservative spread the coronavirus in the South Korea, the headline. Scene number seven, February 26th, Goyang City, near the Seoul metropolitan city area, begins operating a drive-through testing station. Uh, this is the first drive-through testing station in Korea operated by the local government. In the wait, February 27th, South Korea to introduce distribution system for face masks and ban mask exports. To distribute face masks swiftly and fairly to all citizens, uh, the government has decided to fundamentally manage the entire process of production, logistics, and distribution. The Minister of Economy and Finance and other agencies monitoring the COVID-19 outbreak said in the joint press release, uh, to establish a face fair system, the government uh, limited weekly sales of face masks sold in local pharmacy to two for every customer. It will be also adopted the odd even rule uh, customers born on odd days can purchase masks on odd days and vice versa in number nine march 10th the minister of education postponed the start of the new school year for kindergarten and elementary and middle and high schools until march 23rd the pcd advises all individuals in the South Korean to observe an, observe an enhanced social distancing campaign from March 22 to April 5th by staying home other than going to work, visiting a stay, health stay, healthcare provider and purchasing necessities. This Korean science said no entrance. School date. Scene number 10, March 19th, special immigration procedures are expanded to include all Koreans and foreigners entering Korea. All inbound travelers are required to submit a questionnaire, domestic address, and contact information, get their temperature checked, and use the self-diagnosed mobile app by reporting daily symptoms for 14 consecutive days after arrival. Individuals who test positive will be transferred to a hospital or ripe treatment center, while Korean citizens and foreigners with a domestic address who are asymptomatic and test negative will be required to self-quarantine at home for 14 days. Foreigners planning for short-term stay without a domestic address will be tested at the facility and individuals who test negative will be granted entry on the enhanced active monitoring. On March 28th, the number of recovered COVID-19 patients in South Korea surpasses the number of patients in quarantine or isolated mm. treatment. February, the patient 31, the spike of the, the graph. Through, through timely development and approval of a functioning diagnostic test, frequent dissemination of information and public resources, heightened border control, border control and meticulous contact mapping through patient questionnaires and GPS based mobile application, South Korea's efforts to flatten the curve are similarly working. Second wave, we need to be alert. Scientists fear second coronavirus wave 
China flag down is uh, the bias would have difficulty re-establishing itself in the community if a significant portion of people between uh, 50% and 70% were infected and are now immune. But note that uh, even in Wuhan, the number of those people infected and are now immune to the disease is probably less than 10%, which means there are a lot of uh, lots of people still vulnerable to infection. Mm -hmm. uh, a vaccine would increase the percentage of immune people, but no vaccine are expected for uh, at least uh, one or two years. That's the end. Finish it. Okay, thank you very much. If you can, um, Professor Wong, if you can uh, restore the myself as the host, okay then that will allow us to all um, be on the screen together. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much. So um, I want to remind everyone that uh, Professor Song Sik Wong is our guest, as well as Professor Cheung Jong. And we're talking about the COVID-19 pandemic in South Korea. And that was really, really um, great grounding in the timeline there in South Korea. I want to ask some follow-up questions, uh, maybe reiterate some of the points that you just made and also give an opportunity for people to get questions in. So please do send your questions. Um, you can use the chat function on YouTube Live. You can also email questions to me at sgk23 at drexel.edu. And you can also get questions in via Twitter just tag me at US of Disaster. So I just want to go back actually to the beginning of your presentation. And this is a question for, for both of you. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, infectious disease surveillance system in South Korea? How much do you rely on the World Health Organization? And, and I'm asking that question because then we want to talk about how much South Koreans trust the health messages that were coming out and if there was any backlash to that. So can you talk to us a little bit about how communication worked and also about how surveillance works in South Korea? Uh, uh, actually, uh, South Korean infectious disease surveillance system quite so well and uh, we we have uh, experienced the MERS case in 2015. Um, however, uh, Chinese government they, uh, they uh, hidden the cases in Wuhan Wuhan cases. So the WHO uh, they they don't they don't the, the information from China Chinese government. So. Uh, this uh, this COVID nineteen cases the uh, broken broken cases in the uh, cooperation between uh, WHO and regional government, China government and Chinese government and Korean government. Mm. So the linkage there between the Chinese government and the WHO and the South Korean yeah. linkage yeah. was poor. It was not a good yeah. not a good linkage. Not, not, not a good linkage. Uh, I see. Cases. So. In South Korea, then, um, and you were talking to us about the communication, do citizens generally trust the public health messaging that came from the South Korean government? Okay, uh, um, most of the citizens uh, uh, trusted the government messaging, uh, uh, but uh, uh, I, I expect the bipartisan uh, media, media by bipartisanized, and then uh, right, right wing part media, uh, the the uh, the news article criticized the government plan and government uh, COVID nineteen plan and treatment act some some kind of uh, the message. They they rebelled the the the, the, message, the South Korean government message. Hmm. Professor John, I mean, can you offer yes. some perspective yeah. on that? Because, you know, one of the things that was said here in the United States, it wasn't consensus, but one of the things people said was, oh, well, you know, 
in South Korea, everyone will just do whatever the government says. And my reaction to that was, no, this is a functioning democracy with a free press and plenty of disagreement. But, you know, we didn't get good coverage in the United States of what was going on in South Korea. Can you say a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, as Professor Huang said, there is a, a divide, divided media landscape uh, in South Korea, as, as in any other uh, democracy. So the, a lot of media coverage has been uh, uh, focusing on whether the government is doing it right or wrong. So there is a uh, a praise and then uh, appreciation, but also there is a severe criticism all throughout the process. And so, in, but but in this in this divided media scape, uh, I think the this has become a good test case for uh, disaster communication by the government mm -hmm. to the citizens. So uh, I, th I think a lot of citizens are now paying attention to what the government says officially, and the Korean CDC uh, and the, and. Uh, and they are they're holding uh, the daily uh, press briefings and press uh, conferences at 2 p.m. every day. So the, either the director or the uh, uh, the vice uh, or deputy director level, uh, someone in charge comes out uh, in, in live TV every day at 2 p.m. and they report daily uh, new cases and treatments and, and any other major developments. And then they take questions from the media and then they answer them with uh, a fairly uh, good um, confidence. And then they, they have become, uh, in my view, they have become a reliable source, direct source of uh, information for many citizens. So, um, and, uh, and it's that the CDC director has now become a kind of a, a national hero or kind of mm. household name for all Koreans. Everyone uh, sees her. Um, and, and everyday uh, live press conference. And so I think it has becoming a really good um, example of uh, disaster communication, the official disaster communication. And I think it will be studied uh, pretty uh, seriously after all this. Professor John, let me stay with you for just a second, if I could, on this. Um, has President Moon's, um, has the public's opinion of President Moon, has it been shifting throughout this crisis? You know, it's impossible for Americans to think about COVID-19 and not talk about Donald Trump because he's inserted himself right into the center of the story. Was that similar in, in the South Korean case? Uh, yes, I mean, he, he's, very, he's very active in, in, in managing, responding to all the crisis, although uh, he's, he hasn't been on live TV very much. I mean, he, mm -hmm. He's done it, but he hasn't been uh, uh, on, on live TV every day, uh, but in, uh, instead of, but he, he sent out messages through his uh, staff meetings and, and it has been reported. But, uh, but, uh, but his uh, approval rating has, has increased. Mm. Now it's, I think it's the, 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 the most recent number that I saw was 56% approval rating. Uh, I mean, you know, so that's, uh, and, and it has been uh, rising uh, over the course of the corona uh, pandemic. So interesting thing to note, yes. Yeah, yeah. Professor Huang, let me come back to you and we can talk a little bit more about the epidemiological response. Could you talk to us a little bit about how contact tracing was used in South Korea? Um, contact tracing uh, and the uh, traveler, uh, traveler in, uh, in Korean, Korean citizen to uh, the, in, the, in the airport. Uh, the set up the smartphone smartphone app, yeah. and the info, information input the address and uh, information on the symptom, and the Korean government can uh, the public health uh, public health uh, public health station to the uh, the, the, inform, the smartphone messaging, and they daily check up the check up the uh, symptom and, and the location information. Professor Huang, if I could stay with you, you know, one of the things that in the United States you may have been following, we've had terrible problems um, getting the tests, having an adequate number of tests um, to the point at which in, in some places they've basically gone to saying, if you have the symptoms, assume that you have COVID-19, and seek treatment, don't even wait for a test. Could you talk to us a little bit about 
the South Korean approach to COVID-19 testing? Why was the testing so effective, rolled out so quickly? Yeah, uh, uh, government, uh, government adopted mass testing for early detection and the government met with the test procedures and agreed on the need to produce the kit rapidly. Test kits were made available in early February thanks to fast track approval in Korean FDA. In about six weeks, more than uh, 300,000 people were tested and early action by the government and mass testing has led to early detection and self-isolation to prevent infection. I think also the one thing that I want to mention is that when the patient 31 was confirmed in uh, on uh, February 18th and then later on and then the number of new cases kind of spiked in in the city of Tegu and, and in the neighboring uh, uh, area and the because of the the infections among the uh, the church members and the government requested the the list of um, all the members of the church, which was about, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Professor Huang, but I think about 200,000. Mm. And then and then it was uh, spreading very fast. And then the, the government tr uh, uh, tried to track down every one of them with their contact information and then, uh, and then doing the test. Uh, so it, it was a very intense period of testing in the city of Teku for uh, after the patient theory number one. How many people live in Daegu? About 2.5 million. Mm -hmm. And the 200,000 members of this church. Oh, that's, that's nationwide. It's a nationwide church, yeah. And um, did that cause some uh, stress or was there some pushback about this very uh, vigorous contract tracing and testing regime? either Professor Huang or Professor John care to comment how the public perceived um, the testing? I, I think so. Um, most of people said uh, adopted a, uh, a te uh, widespread testing and nationwide um, for quick testing. Mm. Yes, I think the, uh, a lot of people um, very soon um, realized the need for quick and mass uh, uh, testing uh, and then uh, the very uh, detailed track down of the all these contacts and then uh, whereabouts of the of the patients so we are now getting used to receiving uh, uh, disaster messages on our um, phones every day by uh, sent by the local uh, authorities um, when there is a new case in in the in in our city in each city and for a while it gave uh and then we could we, we were notified of all the whereabouts of the patients prior to that date so they mm -hmm. the some uh in in earlier phase even the names of the shops um and restaurants were released for the public so that, that they could uh kind of avoid them uh, uh for a while I was um, wondering too, maybe we should clarify that the emphasis here was on testing that could confirm COVID-19 cases. Has there also been um, so-called antibody tests to confirm whether or not people had it, um, even if they were exposed and didn't present symptoms? Well, I think I, I have to leave it to Professor Huang about that. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I don't have, please, please uh, 
Oh, that's fine. We'll, we can return to that. Um, let me ask you a question uh, more generally about the role of the access to healthcare in South Korea. Um, what is healthcare like in South Korea? Is it decentralized and privatized? Is it universal healthcare? Take us inside how, how that works in South Korea. South Korea system is universal health coverage and health financing. Uh, all patients have access to treatment covered by the Korea National Health Insurance Service, NHI, uh, for communicable diseases such as COVID-19, co-payments of NHI exempt, uh, and the financial burden of treatment is minimized for patients. Uh, all, all the more than, all the more than 90% of hospitals are private. Uh, they all participate in the NHI system with the same contract condition for the both public and private providers set by law. Uh, when, when masks are rationed, they are distributed by pharmacies using the NHI database. The COVID-19 experience highlights how universal healthcare is an, is an important foundation to cope with uh, epidemic and health security crisis. Professor John, is there, uh, do you have a sense of the uh, public perception of the universal healthcare system coming into this pandemic? Has it been a source of uh, disagreement in South Korea the way it has in the United States? I and mean, when we argue about healthcare, like we argue, we argue about healthcare constantly in the United States. Has that also been true in South Korea? Uh, no, I think now it's uh, that universal healthcare uh, is taken for granted in, in South Korea. They, uh, it's, uh, I think, a, Almost all Koreans take it as take it as a just given system, and then mm -hmm. and, and then uh, as Professor Hwan said, it's that system uh, is is functioning in in this uh, crisis by giving uh, uh, access to testing and then and then treatment. Did you find in this pandemic that there was overwhelming stress on the system? Were there long lines for tests? Was there stress in the hospitals um, serving patients at the worst of the surge? Because we're seeing that in the United States. This is taxing our health system in a way we've never really seen before. Professor Huang has better information uh, than this, uh, in this uh, than, than, than myself. But then uh, in, in the city of Tegu, when we're, where the uh, patient 31 appeared and then spread very quickly. And then at that time, uh, there was a, a, a backlog of testing and also hospital beds. So uh, the confirmed uh, patients had, sometimes they had to wait in order to be admitted to hospitals in the city of Teco. So that was a kind of stressful moment uh, uh, within the city. Uh, but as time goes on, that stress, uh, that, that pressure, uh, has been relieved uh, by uh, uh, by um, getting more hospital beds, also transferring them, uh, and then also making decisions to transfer um, the light symptom uh, patients to uh, other uh, life care centers that were quickly created uh, uh, out of um, the, the corporate and government facilities. Um, so I think that has be, there has been much effort to relieve the pressure on the medical system uh, in the city of Tegu. Mm. Professor Wong, has it been a very stressful time for doctors yeah. and yeah. health workers in South Korea? Yeah, yeah. Two, about uh, two, during the epidemic, it's two months, the uh, health professionals are so tired and exhausted. And yesterday, the, one of the doctor, uh, infected doctor, died mm. in Daegu, Daegu City. So many, many South Koreans, South Korean health professionals are mourned to this death. Professor Wong, I wonder if recent pandemics yeah. played a role in South Korea's ability seemingly to very well meet yeah. This pandemic, I'm thinking of SARS, 
uh, bird flu, H1N1. Had those played an important role in uh, allowing South Korean health officials to be ready for this pandemic? Uh, it's kind of learning from the past experience, you know, the painful experience of MERS with 186 cases and 38 deaths in 2015 has led to lessons around in the quicker response from both the government and the public. The current administration invested more funds in the health sector compared to prior administration. As the first early cases of COVID-19 were reported, the government was already on a fast track to prepare mass production and tested and the key step for early detection and swift containment of the viruses. The public also were prepared to accept the extensive contact tracing for effective detection at the expense of privacy. As a result, the government and the public worked together in containing the disease as quickly as possible to prevent a repeat of the MERS crisis. Professor John, um, that was really interesting what Professor Wong just said, that, that maybe there'd been more resources um, put towards this kind of pandemic preparedness in Professor Moon's administration than in Professor Park's administration. Does that, does, is, is that normal in South Korea that different administrations would fund very differently the kind of health research necessary to be prepared for a pandemic? Uh, yes, I think so. The uh, you know, different, I mean, as in as in the U.S., different administrations have different values and different priorities, and then um, so I think that that makes difference. And as Professor Huang said, I think it's uh, this is very also interesting and useful case of how to learn from the past, mm. uh, and then after the 2015 MERS outbreak, and then at the time the the. Korean government uh, uh, was highly criticized of its handling uh, the, the the disaster and about its information uh, distribution systems and etc. And so, after that, after that, the uh, the medical uh, professionals and also government authorities, uh, I believe that they studied the case a lot and they did, they released a white paper and then uh, they really. It's, I mean, it now turns out that they really uh, worked hard to learn from uh, the past. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it's working uh, out uh, for this time. Uh, and, and many, many uh, some, some of the uh, government officials at, at, at the center of this management, the uh, um, COVID-19 management, are also people who worked during the MERS outbreak in 2015. So they are really practicing what they learned uh, in 2015. Mm -hmm. So this then MERS is the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, and yes. uh, as Professor Huang said, there were there were thirty eight deaths in South yeah, Korea yeah. from that, um, and so that came just one year also after the Sewol Ferry disaster, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a interesting to me sort of the convergence of these disasters seems to maybe have led to a um, I don't know a greater emphasis on capacity of forensics and learning from disaster in South Korean government that's just a hypothesis what do you think of that professor Huang or professor John either one um, I mean I, I, I hope so the as as you also know that in 2014 and, and then 2015 going through the civil fair disaster and then MERS uh, and during those two consecutive years there was a lot of questions uh, and the criticism about the role of the state in in protecting the citizens lives basically and then these two uh, cases among other things really um, questioned the legitimacy of the state for a lot of uh, citizens in Korea. And that, well, I think that, that, that questioning and then criticism and then in response to that, 
and then reconfirmation of the role of the state in 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 the case uh, in in times of crisis. I think that um, uh, I think we see we're seeing we're seeing the changes coming from those reflections and responses mm -hmm. to those earlier disasters. Mm -hmm. Professor Huang, I wonder if I can ask you what you expect to happen next. Is life returning to normal in South Korea? Uh, uh, I think there uh, about one or two months if the COVID-19 epidemic is prolonged. So uh, we, we had a, a kind of new, new normal and, and Social, social, social distancing and, and social and physical distancing is the, the average life, lifestyle in, in South Korea. Mm. This is part of a new lifestyle in South Korea. I want to ask you a little more about this, if I can, because one of the things, you know, uh, I think I read today, 75% of people in the United States are now basically sheltering in place at home. Mm -hmm. So we were, we are now where you were uh, in February, and we don't know yet what kind of um, signals we should be looking for to return to normal. You're talking about a couple of months of maybe returning to normal in South Korea. People will be seeking reassurance that it's okay to come out again. Have you seen something similar in South Korea? Citizens very eager to have a sort of continued reassurance? Yeah, it's very difficult, uh, very difficult decision. And when, when we will come, come back to normal life, uh, the government and health, health authorities, uh, first they do, we, we open the School, mm -hmm. school, elementary and middle and high school. Uh, maybe, maybe not in university. Uh, university uh, in full, full semester uh, in uh, uh, that's that's not me. South Korean government has has authority to uh, will uh, have a this have a decision to. Uh, up to school and back to the work and uh, my my condition of social distancing and we decide to the uh, normal life maybe the, uh, the election date uh, election date in uh, April 15th mm -hmm. after after the election date the, the government and The uh, government decide the, the, the uh, normal normalize the lifestyle in, this, uh, mm -hmm. in South Korea. So, Professor John, the, uh, you have an election coming up April fifteen. Just like in the United States, this pandemic in a democracy has to take place alongside, uh, you know. The, the disease process and the and the coping and the strategies take place alongside electoral politics. Um, what's the context of this election? I'm assuming the COVID-19 has been a major topic of discussion. It's like a midterm election there, right? Uh, this is a, a nationwide election for the Congress. So yeah. we, we do it every four years and mm -hmm. then uh, all the seats are uh, changing at this time. So, um, mm -hmm. so uh, Yes, the COVID-19 has become, I think, the, the biggest issue uh, this time. I mean, there, there have been many other issues in, in elections, but then uh, I think that currently the COVID-19 is the biggest uh, thing on every citizen's mind. So they will be evaluating the government responses uh, and the ruling party's uh, handling of the, the situation. And then also the, and the opposition party will, uh, is, is trying to uh, criticize uh, what the government uh, has been doing uh, in this crisis. So I think the, uh, the election will be uh, a kind of evaluation uh, moment uh, for this in, in two weeks. 
And, and then one, one interesting thing about the election in the time of disaster is that, is that the, uh, this time, uh, many of the, the embassies and consulates abroad, uh, the Korean embassies and consulates are, they are not, they cannot function, not all of them can function properly. So uh, they so now about, the news says that about half of uh, those who are abroad, the Koreans abroad and eligible to vote, half of them cannot vote this time because of the non-functioning uh, election uh, system, uh, the, the business uh, there. Um, so it, it really limits uh, the, the voting rights for many Koreans. And then, as Professor Huang said, the, the April 15 is only two weeks away. And then, uh, you know, election is itself is mass gathering. So right. it's, it's the, the very act of voting becomes, uh, you know, get, becomes the, the risk of uh, getting contacts with, with a lot of people. And so how to handle this, this uh, the essential democratic mass gathering mm -hmm. in a time of social distancing? I think it's, it's, it's a difficult um, political uh, task, but also kind of logistical uh, task as well. well, the debate around that in the United States has been that states need to make um, available the capacity to do mail-in voting so that people don't actually have to go and wait in a line. Lines were already long in the United States, and if you space people six feet apart, these lines are going to stretch for miles. Do you have mail-in voting in South Korea? Um, but, but you have to uh, uh, sort of register for that. So yeah, for it's too fast. Right. So uh, for most citizens, it's uh, you have to actually go to the, the voting stations. Uh, but we have a pre-voting pre period uh, for two days. So the election date is uh, April 15th, but I think that April uh, uh, 10 and 11 is a pre-voting day. So you can, you can go and so you can, you can, we can distribute a little bit, but not uh, mm. enough. Professor Huang. May I ask you, um, what is your message to your peers in the United States, to doctors and epidemiologists in the United States? What should they learn from South Korea right now? Uh, I think the United States uh, the Korean contact tracing and uh, all the mass testing and that's a rapid response to the public health. Public health. So, uh, the more and more uh, all the mass testing will be, will be effective to the flatten the epidemic curve, I think so. And uh, health, health, uh, health um, professionals have very big burden to the COVID-19 patients, fighting uh, infringement patients. The uh, mental, mental health and physical health the, the main, uh, main, uh, main, main barrier of the do not to uh, Broken system, healthcare system, the healthcare, healthcare officials, healthcare professionals have uh, played play a major role to uh, not break, break, break the uh, healthcare system in the United States. Mm -hmm. Professor Huang, if I could ask you in your own training, um, did you ever have? an opportunity to do uh, a test exercise or a practice of any kind for this pandemic? Uh, that, uh, uh, in 2009, 2009 uh, in, uh, in the flu, uh, flu, flu H1N1 flu influenza epidemic. Uh, I was a, a member of the epidemiologist in, in public epidemiologist. In 2015, 2015 uh, in most 
Epiphany. Uh, and the field epidemiologist, I play the role of the field epidemiologist and to the uh, questioning and surveying and watching the CCTV and check the credit card usage. Mm. Uh, very, very, very interesting uh, experience to me. Mm. Do you expect that a vaccine will be introduced in South Korea relatively soon? How long do you think it will take? I don't. Uh, I I have uh, uh, quite pessimistic uh, opinion to, to develop the vaccine. Uh, the bio, biologics can uh, infectious disease uh, medicine. They, they, they think or they uh, anticipate uh, as possible as uh, one or two years. Mm -hmm. One or two years. So two years. The, the second wave of epidemic in the winter season of 2020, uh, the, the second wave will be uh, might be uh, the, the second day in, in 2020 mm. winter, winter season. Yeah. We, 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 we do not, we do not uh, pass the second wave. Okay. Professor John, I was asking Professor Huang about his own uh, maybe special training and preparedness uh, to you know, endure this particular moment. I wonder, in your case, you know, you're the head of a science, technology, and policy analysis unit at KAIST. Um, what kind of training do you have to make sense of this of this moment? And I and I guess if you'd share with us, how do you think COVID nineteen is going to change the way science and technology research works in South Korea? Um. Yes, that's a good, that's a good question. I think the um, South Korea has been and uh, and still focuses on um, innovative uh, technology in information technology and in biotech, etc. And it's been doing quite well in, in that area. And the 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 recent the COVID nineteen testing kit uh, uh, test kits and then and related innovations also played a very important role in responding to the disaster. But at the same time, I also see that uh, smaller innovations, I mean, not so destructive innovations, but smaller innovations uh, in really uh, getting to the citizens and then, uh, and, and then doing the test and then also uh, the sensing and then monitoring, et cetera. So all these uh, uh, small innovations that some, some small creativities uh, on the go were also very important in really managing this real-time disaster. Um, so I think the uh, also maybe it's I mean we, we will keep doing the innovative uh, work uh, in, in the large scale, but also uh, this paying attention to the, uh, the daily routinized uh, small innovations. Um, I think that those are also very um, uh, important. And and then the question of how to uh, live with what we have, or also how to work with what we have, and then doing the best uh, 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 of what we can uh, with available resources in a very limited uh, uh, conditions. I think that has become also important uh, uh, task and then that, that can have some uh, impact on the way we think about the role of science in, in society and in politics. And then also uh, the question of making uh, decisions on the go, uh, mm. making uh, wise decisions on the go and, and, and also collectively and, and then with kind of um, discussion and consensus. And that, has, that is also a very important issue in this emergent, emergency situations. And then that, that the decisions are uh, simultaneously scientific and political. Mm. And, and Professor Fang has recently given an excellent interview about this, uh, this inseparability, or uh, I mean, the, this way we think about this uh, connection or the relationship between science and politics in responding to the, uh, the, the crisis. So I think it's a good uh, case to 
uh, think about the how the how to connect science and politics in a very wise way in making collective decisions. Because hmm. just to bring back a little of the context, I mean, the Sewol Ferry disaster, the MERS incident you were talking about, I know there's a major investigation going on right now about um, illness caused by uh, humidifier disinfectants. I mean, problems about the government in South Korea and, and how well it was managing public safety, those have been in the forefront of South Korean politics for several years now. Are you surprised that the government has performed so well in the midst of the COVID-19? Or is it more that those lessons were learned very quickly and their response now was robust as a result of that learning? Um, yes, as you said, the, those investigations are still going on about the sulfur disaster and then humidifier disinfectant cases. Um, which were very crucial in, in the Koreans' perception of public safety. And uh, I don't think we, we have learned enough lessons from those uh, cases mm -hmm. yet. And then things are still uh, debated. And then also uh, investigations are still uh, underway and, then, uh, and with, with, with quite a bit of difficulty. Um, so we haven't, it's not, I don't think there is a, a direct connections from those two, these, uh, the current COVID-19. Um, uh, maybe it's, it's more about learning from MERS in this uh, specific case. But I think in general, uh, by going through all these uh, different uh, sorts of disasters in the recent five, six years, uh, in, uh, in general, there, there is increasing um, sensitivity to the issue of safety uh, and, and health, and then also the, the government role in all of this. And then, yeah, and most of the importance of learning from the past experiences. Professor Huang, um, my previous guest, Julian Zelizer, was saying he expected more young people in the United States now to go to public health school and to go to medical school. Do you expect a similar thing to happen in South Korea? Will there be even more young people now who'll be turning to health professions? In, in, medical, in South Korea, medical school is quite a very narrow uh, gate. The quite smart and young and smart students uh, hope to, to enter the medical, medical school. Uh, so I hope the more and more medical students to have a, uh, have a job to the Thank you. Um, Professor John, one more question for you. Um, you have a very unique vantage point here because you've lived and studied in the United States. Um, and, you know, you know both cultures very well. I wonder, you know, given that vantage point, do you have any advice or any lessons for Americans, you know, things we should be learning from the South Korean experience that you think Americans can, can take up? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure this is uh, exactly learning from South Korea, but I think, it, I mean, I, I'm also realizing that uh, how important it is uh, to have uh, trust in public institutions in times of crisis. Uh, and the government and also related health authorities here. And the, the South Koreans have very high expectation of the government functions and, and the role of government in, 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 in all those essential um, areas. Uh, uh, but at the same time, uh, uh, we have, maybe we haven't had that much confidence and trust in, 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 in the recent government's handling of the uh, uh, different uh, crisis. Uh, but I think in, in times like this, whether in the U.S. or in Korea, it's re really important to create that kind of uh, trust relationship between the citizens and government uh, so that they can listen to the, the official messages. They can, uh, they can really uh, take them seriously and then put them into action in their lives. And all these uh, trust-based um, communication and then actions are very important in handling all of these crises. Professor Chiang Zhang of KAIST and Professor Sung Sik Huang of Seoul National University, 
Thank you so much for getting up very early for you on a Saturday morning and sharing the narrative of what happened in South Korea and lessons that we can take in the United States and in other countries as well um, from those lessons and, and good luck in your work going forward. I know it's not over there. Um, so thank you again for sharing that wisdom with us. I'd like to remind everybody that the COVID calls take place every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. We have a full week next week of guests. Every call next week will be at 5 p.m. Uh, on Monday, we have a researchers roundtable with young disaster researchers uh, who will be sharing their own insights into COVID-19 and how they think that the pandemic is gonna shape their own research going forward. I wish everyone uh, a healthy and restful weekend, and we will see you and speak with you right here again on Monday afternoon at 5 p.m. Professor John, Professor Hong, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much.